and welcome to This Girl Cam, where we chat to wonderful women doing fabulous things in pharma. I'm Liv Nixon, and today I'm chatting to Lucy George, who's Head of Innovation for Oncology at AstraZeneca. Along with holding one of the most significant and relevant roles around in the industry at the moment, Lucy somewhat incredibly has made time to begin a master's degree in psychology earlier this year, and if that wasn't enough, she's training to run the London Marathon in April next year. I don't know how she made the time to chat to me, but I'm really glad she did, as I'm dying to hear how she maintains this drive she evidently has. We've got loads to chat about, so let's get cracking. Hi, Lucy. Hi, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. How are you? I am good. I'm pretty cold today, like a lot of people in the UK. It's very cold and snowy today. So yes, it is a snowy day and we have just had a little moment as emailed me ahead of this to say I have a house full of children and dogs. So um, nothing like keeping it real. We got the email from the school at 7am this morning, as expected. It's snowed overnight here and we live just outside of London in a small village actually and on a hill. So we can't get our cars out anyway to get them anywhere. But the school said that they were closed. So I've got an 11-year-old, a 13-year-old at home, cooped up. And my dog, who's super energetic, also cooped up. And my husband also trying to work from home today. So yeah, the juggling act continued. <laughs> Please tell me school haven't sent you work for the kids to do or anything. No, they haven't. They said, there's some work on teams if you're not in the snow. So I'm <laughs> taking that as quite a relaxed approach. <laughs> yeah, them chill. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Okay. The purpose of today is just to get to know a little bit about you. Um, I've done a lot of Googling of you over the last couple of weeks. Um, you have had some fantastic roles, really relevant at the moment as well in the climate that we're in. Yeah. So I'm fascinated by that. But beyond all of that, because this is a podcast aimed at supporting women in the pharmaceutical industry, I'm just keen to get to know a little bit about the person behind the LinkedIn profile and yep. the decisions that you've made along the way that have brought you to where you are now. Yeah, thank you. And thanks for the invitation. I've really enjoyed the episode so far. So for me, so I started, I guess, in a fairly classical way for people working in pharma. I was a scientist, so I studied molecular biology. And actually, that was probably quite a pivotal moment when I finished university in terms of where I was going to go from there into either kind of more university, more education. I am a really curious person and can talk about how that's made, changed the decisions that I've made and driven me to do the things that I've done. Love learning and really quite academic, I think, as well, and just love getting into the detail of why things are the way they are. And so I had the kind of decision of, should I go into research or continue my education, do a master's and PhD potentially, or do I go and get a job? And at the time when I was in London studying, we went to the big graduate kind of recruitment day and I got a job with one of the big pharma companies in the graduate program at the time as a sales representative, thinking this is amazing. Maybe I'll do a couple of years, see if I like it, see if this is for me. And then I can always go back to academic and do further study if that's what I want to do. And the rest is history. I became a sales rep and did lots of different field jobs in primary care, secondary care, sales manager, account manager, and have been in pharma ever since and done lots of different roles and head office roles more recently and I've just tried to continue to always learn and go towards the opportunities that allow me to to one expand my own mind and my own thinking but also just make things better like I have a real I have a real internal drive to to see things that I know could be done in a different way and to want to be part of making that happen so that's really the theme that's taken me through and today I'm working in AZ as head of business innovation oncology which is 
it's just the best job. <laughs> so be happy to talk to you about what that entails as well. Yeah, I am fascinated by that, I must admit. I've got so many questions for you around that. So talk to me about your family. Obviously, I know you've got two children and your dog. How long had you been working in the industry when you started having children? And how did that all come about, return to work? Yeah, so I was 28. I seem to have got to that point where I don't really think about age anymore. So I think I was 28 when I had my first child. And then fairly quickly afterwards, had my second, got two boys. And incredible, again, life-changing moment as it is for all parents. Really wanted to take the time to be with them. So I took a year with both of my children for maternity leave, which was just so special. And I'm really grateful that I was able to do that and wouldn't change it for a minute. And it was when I was in the field. So I think when I had my first child, I was actually an account manager and then had a year off maternity leave, went back into the account manager role and then fairly quickly after that went into line management role, leading a team of people with two young baby. And anyone who listened to us in my team at the time will remember that well. And I guess it's again one of those pivotal moments where I took effectively two two years off with a gap in between where I did come back to work after having my first child and then I was pregnant, had two small babies. And I guess the decision of do I go back? Do I continue to go in different roles? Do I continue to try and progress my career or do different things or, or do I do I either not go back financially that probably wasn't the way it was going to go I needed to have a job but equally there were different jobs that you can do and could have gone part-time and all those kind of considerations but I did make the decision after both my maternity leaves to go back full-time and to continue to apply for different jobs and promotions and things like that because Again, I just have that drive and I think I've got that chip in me. I'm from the generation of women. I don't necessarily subscribe to the you can have it all agenda, but why not really? Like, why shouldn't I put myself forward? Yes, I've just had two babies, but I know I can do these things. We should be able to support women and parents, dads, everyone in that position to, to be able to continue to broaden their development and their careers, even when they're having sleepless nights and need to, be, need to potentially take a, a different approach to to some others and whatever your life is like there's work and life and the two should work together and I think that's the way forward to be able to offer enough flexibility empathy understanding to be able to support talented people to continue to grow but not easy I think this was a while ago so my oldest is 13 now so again things have rapidly changed in terms of wellness and work-life balance and corporate culture but having as a personally, having taken a year off, having had this amazing child and this amazing bond that you're together every day and every minute of, of the night sometimes as well. Yeah. And then suddenly you're you're back into full-time work and you're not with them. And you've, you've got to be like on your game at work. And then you're thinking about your baby at home, particularly in those really early days of them going to nursery and that kind of thing. That's emotionally tough. And I remember those days of Again, being extremely grateful and having so many amazing memories, but just being tired a lot of the time is extremely difficult. I equally have a lot of understanding for, for new parents and people who are making that that balance work for them right now. Yeah, I completely agree with you. I don't believe that it should be a decision that women have to make. I don't think it should be a case of children or career. I think it needs to be available to everyone. That said, I'd be lying if I said sometimes it's not a hell of a lot of expectation that we put on ourselves. But have there ever been times when you've looked at it and gone, this is too much, this isn't for me? Yeah, and I think it probably would be 
I guess the personal sacrifices that I would have made. And I think there was probably a 10 year period where I didn't read a magazine, read a book. <laughs> there was kind of social life, like those kind of things, because it was, I'm at work or I'm with my children. And that was the decision that I made. And I was very, obviously we're all very protective of our children, very protected of my time with them. I think COVID changed that a lot, which is really interesting in terms of that intertwining of home and work, because the way that I always managed that was when I'm at work, I'm at work, when I'm with my family, I'm with my family. And when the two collide, that kind of created a completely different scenario, really. But then it, it was kind of like, those are the two main things. And then you start to think it's all the other stuff that, that actually, for me, started to be deprioritized rather than opportunities or anything. I probably, that my kind of hobbies and things for a while went on the radar, I think it, it, it's fair to say. So uh, talking of hobbies then, are the, what is it that you like to do now outside work <laughs> and motherhood and yeah, dogs? Exactly. And... <laughs> Dog motherhood. <laughs> I have loads of time. Exactly. And I, it's true. I guess like now my, my boys are a bit older and self-sufficient and again, particularly teenager, they're not quite so keen on spending all their time with mum and dad. So it allows you a bit more freedom and a bit more flexibility. So I took up running a few years ago and um, amazingly seemed to be trained for the London Marathon in April. Which I keep reminding oh. myself of. <laughs> yeah, I'm running for um, charity, but it's it goes back to that like drive of wanting to have something to achieve and show that I can do it. That's that's the me like inside that you asked about. That's probably something that I wouldn't be able to do. So I'm going to give it a go. It's, it's quite the inner drive that I have. And I love. I do just love learning and reading. I've got the piled high stack of books from Amazon that I'm like trying to constantly work my way through. And started an open university master's degree in psychology a while ago, again, which is amazing because of like digital transformation, these things, you're able to do them in your spare time effectively and pick things up when, you know, I can attend a webinar at the weekend or in the evening at midnight if I want to study in my own time and it can take as long as I need it to take. So yeah. you make that sound so easy. <laughs> I'm just doing a master's in psychology, <laughs> but no problem. Add it to the list. <laughs> And it is a bit like that. And I think it's the drive to learn more, but it's also the inner chip of having something to prove. And I'm not really sure it's proving it to myself, to someone else, that I need to prove anything to you. But I think that has come back to the, the women in leadership and that, that constant like proving of I can do these things. It's like I can do it. It's okay. <laughs> it's possible. It's just grit. I think yeah. it's, it, it's just absolute determination that it's going to, it's what you want. So you're going to make it happen. So why the Masters in Psychology in particular? Was that, is that an area of significance to you? Just for, again, I find it really interesting, particularly around how people interact with each other, how groups interact with each other, work outside of work, society. And I'd always wanted to do, going back to the first point, I'd always wanted to do some further education and started to look at now that there's so many more courses available online part-time that you can do around other commitments doing an MBA and then when I looked at the courses and the syllabus they're on offer I kind of felt like I know a lot of these things I've done business for my whole career and I've done marketing and I know a lot about kind of profit and loss and that kind of thing by now so whilst it would be valuable actually I might just do something that's genuinely just for the curiosity and something that I'm really interested in and that what makes people do the things they do and be the way they are and show up the way that they do, I think is, is really interesting in business, but also in wider society and life. And again, it is a challenge because my first degree was in molecular biology. And so I have to also like catch up a bit, somehow convinced, convinced them it's a conversion course. They convinced them that I'm well enough qualified to take it on, but it's extremely interesting. 
one of the questions I had for you is around mindset. Do you think there are specific environments that you've been in throughout your career that have inspired better, better is probably the wrong word, but a different mindset to drive your career forward? How well does the environment and the culture marry up to the mindset of an individual in your experience? Yeah, such an interesting question. And I say every company that I've worked in, this is totally on their agenda and their diversity, inclusion, the wellness agenda, 100% there. I guess it's one of those things that's easy to say and, and difficult to do in some times, isn't it? But I think when I've been in teams or worked for people who can see you for who you are and really appreciate that and like the good bits and maybe the bits that you're working on and see that has potential, that's when I've been at my best. And I think that's probably the same for everyone, isn't it? You just want to be with people who've got your back and are going to put some air in your parachute and help you to fly. And and obviously we always challenge each other and there are ups and there are downs. But I think it's when you know that you've got that, you've got that connection that it's it's worked the best for me. And I've worked for some and with some incredibly talented and inspiring people and leaders and I really aspire to have that as much as I can as well. One of the kind of support of people, but that that ability to really tailor your own style or your own decisions, your own approach, depending on what the person in front of you needs is, and that's okay. I think probably one of my 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 light bulb moments was when one of my managers said to me, and not necessarily talking about me, she was just talking about leadership in general. It's okay to be who you are, and you don't have to pretend to be someone else or like what you think a leader is or has been in the past that you just you just got to be yourself yeah uh, uh, and that's why you're there <laughs> and yeah. having that acceptance and realization moment is is I think quite pivotal particularly I think for women in leadership because although again it feels like a little bit outdated I still think that there is a bit about the confidence uh, and women having the imposter syndrome and that kind of thing having that realization of you can be who you are and be a leader and there are different ways to be a leader it's yeah, it's actually quite freeing and liberating and powerful when you realise that. 100%. I couldn't agree with you more about that. There does seem to be this wave of realisation, which I love, of people saying we can do it our own way. Yeah. And allowing yourself to be yourself and not feeling like you need to be, have a work front, if yeah. you like, rather than just who you are, yeah. I think is, yeah, yeah. is powerful. Yeah. So talk to me more about the time, because obviously you had a long time at Pfizer, didn't yes. you? Yeah. So you went from MSD, yep. Pfizer, yep. then Novartis, then AZ. Yep. So Some big companies. Names are. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I was particularly interested in your time at Pfizer because you had a few interesting roles there, a role in compliance as well, didn't you? I did. Yeah. Yeah. So how did that come about? It was a project that was looking across the board at how compliance worked. And I had previously been in the field team, a commercial role. And this project came about and I got involved with it. And again, I think the kind of the key drive behind it was I just wanted to help be part of making making the company the best that it could be. And so ended up that I worked on this full time for 18 months and worked on how the team was set up and how the whole processes worked. and worked across the whole company at the time across different business units and all different teams that got exposed to patient safety and quality and different commercial teams and medical teams and legal teams and again I think that was probably quite a pivotal moment for me in terms of that was my first non-field role and I think going from having worked in 
the field up until then, and then suddenly like your eyes are open to really what makes a big organization like that run. And you realize behind the scenes, actually what's happening is, is really eye-opening. And again, was probably a really pivotal sliding doors moment for me because it made me realize that there was so much more happening than I had really barely recognized when I was in, in the field because you're working on your part of a big, a bigger piece. But actually being right in the thick of the big organization was hugely valuable and really eye-opening and going from a function that was completely different into something completely different again that huge step up and learning curve not only the content but again the how and how you need to work with people and organize yourself and other people and all that kind of thing was I honestly think a really pivotal moment for me in my career which again really grateful that I was one given the opportunity and two decided that was a good opportunity to do because it isn't an actual move I don't think for from going from field sales into that kind of job and then that opened the door really into other central head office type roles so I went into marketing said marketing for a while and then as part of the Novartis London move went to Novartis in, in marketing and then into digital business excellence and now business innovation at AstraZeneca so again I've gone through kind of several roles that are quite different and having to both educate myself. Like I feel myself, I've been on that journey from being being basically a sales representative in the kind of more traditional sense of going to call on GPs with my paper sales aid <laughs> when I see that at first left university, my, my briefcase, to actually now being right at the leading edge of how we do things differently, customer experience, omni-channel, digital health analytics and I've had to educate myself a lot but also think about how I am as a leader and how change works and how I can help to bring other people along how we can co-create a direction and a vision and again not always got that right but I think over time have learned enough through that to to now have quite a clear view on what works and what maybe didn't work so well. Do you think your sense of worth for the value that we, you put into what we do, do you think that has increased as you've increased in your seniority and roles? Do you think it's become significantly stronger with each role? Yeah, that's an interesting question. I think it's crucial for me, firstly, I believe if it's part of the compliance role and that kind of thing, I believe that, you know, Big Pharma absolutely has a role to play in the health of the world and the nation and is pivotal in bringing new medicines forward but obviously we have to do that with integrity and that's how I show up every day and do the job that I do and I think and again the more the more broadly you see things from an organizational point of view and how much work effort and diligence goes in behind the scenes into those kind of things and the big decisions that are made gives me the respect and the confidence and the kind of conviction that I know that that we're doing really good things and doing the right things for the people who need us to yeah yeah. So that's doggy. <laughs> can come in if you want. No. <laughs> the podcast would be over. Very <laughs> brilliant. I do think, again, like I was in the field for a really long time. Again, it's kind of the mindset of it's different. Like it's difficult, but it's also different. And I guess it's fighting to me. I think that's the mindset, isn't it? That's the difference. And there's new and different ways that we can do our jobs and that's the really cool part of what I'm doing now but also what's possible in every job in the industry yeah so that I'm fascinated by the sort of things that are on your agenda in terms of what will be the next 
priorities for pharma, do you think, in the yeah. coming years? It's so 2020? interesting. I know. And I think, again, you, I mean, you would have seen everybody is trying to look at this question and see where we go next and what's the vision of the future. And I do think, particularly working in the UK, we're in a unique position because, like you said, our the NHS actually, I think, is doing a great job of innovating with digital. If you go and look at some of the things that are happening in the NHS from a digital health point of view, but also their digital infrastructure, the apps, and that they all use Teams and that kind of thing. So I think we're actually in an environment where there's quite a high level of digital literacy and that quite a lot of our customers will be digital natives and will expect us to to be working in the same way that, that they're working. And that kind of comes with how do we handle that? as an industry with all of the considerations we have to make about how we work and how we do things how do we best make the most of the technology that's available the expectations of our customers and our stakeholders to use them and bring that into together into something that is actually workable i think is the question really for everybody i would love to think in 10 years time we're working in the same way in an appropriate way as some of the non-pharma companies in terms of the marketing technologies that they're using and the customer service technologies that they're using. But clearly there's a lot of work to, to, to make sure when we do that in the right way, but also we do it in a way that works for us. Yeah. No, I agree entirely. It fascinates me bridging the tech with the people yeah. and balancing the ethics and everything that we have to do in the pharma industry. I find the whole thing utterly intriguing yeah exactly i think that's the, and that's again the thing isn't it you can either see it as a really huge problem to be solved or just a really great great yeah. problem to solve you came into your role at novartis at the start of covid really didn't yeah. you or was it just as covid had just kicked off yeah what a time to be heading up digital yeah <laughs> it was a little bit unexpected yeah and obviously was obviously extremely difficult for all the reasons that we all know but it did really change the landscape in terms of use of digital and and clearly we're now going back again, both internally to companies and the way that our customers expect us to be working. And that's, that's even the way that we're doing this today. We maybe five years ago, we wouldn't consider just adding your no. phone. <laughs> we'd we'd add a bit of bridge to London five years ago. <laughs> I know, I know. And now if I'm seeing like salespeople or vendors or anything, but it's so rare actually that we be face to face, like at least for the first couple of times, we'll they just hop on a Teams call or a Zoom or something and, and talk like that. And it's actually quite hard for me now to remember how it, that it wasn't once like that. We went from literally always sitting in meeting rooms or waiting rooms, waiting to talk to people to, to now everything is just right at, the, at our fingertips of multiple different devices and how quickly we shifted to that. Again, I think it's fascinating from a human point of view, but equally now, we're going back to the office, so I love being in the office as well. How quickly you also get back into the habit of physically being with people and how important that is and how rewarding that is as well. Yeah. And there isn't snow. <laughs> so how did the role at Novartis come about? What drove you to go for a role like that? Have you always had an interest in digital? When did that come about? I think I have, particularly from being a marketeer, I think every marketeer now has to be digital, don't they? We all are digital. So that really piqued the interest of different ways of doing things. And then again, it goes back to, I clearly wasn't like the digital and still I'm not a digital technology expert. I'm not an IT expert. That's not my, my background. But it's this one desire to learn to desire to lead and be part of organizing people around change, I think is more 
part of it versus the kind of the subject matter. And it just so happens that in 2021, digital suddenly became like the most important thing that everyone needed. And that wasn't really, that wasn't really how it was, how it came about, but just so happened it became massively accelerated and much, much bigger than I think anyone clearly anticipated. So it was really leading the change more than being a technical expert. Although I have learned, I mean, in the like two and a half years, three years that I've been in these kind of roles now, learned so much. It's so interesting. Just again, just the wealth of new technologies and new ways of working that there are available is so fascinating. And to be able to learn, once you get into the real kind of analytics, it's so interesting that the way that you can use data to to power the decisions you make or power what you're doing is really fascinating. And again, like three years ago, I wouldn't have known those at all. Like the idea of creating an email was considered the height of digital marketing. So yeah. I've learned a lot in that time. <laughs> Dynamic email. Yeah. <laughs> so as head of innovation, how much of what you're doing in digital and data is shaping the next year or 18 months for you in this role? Yeah, still, I mean, I think it still really is pivotal as part of it. I think of innovation as what do we do that's new to drive us towards the future, but equally, what do we stop doing? What do we need to leave behind and unlearn to enable us to move towards the future? So there's those two aspects of it, but it's all really centered around digital and data, I think, for for the most part. And really interesting, so I have different parts of my team. So I have a team of business insights analysts, have a team working on digital health, digital transformation and how we work with the health system on that. And then also looking at digital marketing, omni-channel, customer experience, and then a capabilities and learning team. And I do think, again, that's a massive area of innovation around how do we then apply some of the techniques that we've rapidly upskilled in for customer engagement to learning development capabilities and what does that look like? the future i think is my next item on the list of curious projects yeah <laughs> so you talked about unlearning tell me a little bit more about what are the things that we need to unlearn as an industry do you think i think it maybe there's back you hear people talk about vanity metrics and i guess they may be leaving behind some of the way that we've always looked at things and productivity and moving towards much more in-depth qualitative useful insights about how we're making an impact or again taking the time to really think about the process of if you want to move towards omni-channel or new ways of engaging customers or new model then you can't measure in the way that we used to measure 20 30 years ago we have to equally change how we measure our effectiveness and they have to work side by side which is why i really firmly believe that teams like analytics and customer engagement and Capabilities learning all sit together in, in one house because actually they're all part of the same, the same continuum. Absolutely. So with your career, you hold some fabulous roles, especially at the moment. What would be your next best? And I know you're only, you're not long in, in this <laughs> one, but I'm guessing you're fairly driven and you've at least got an idea of the sort of things that, that pique your interest. Yeah, and this family life and the way the world of work has changed. So I, what I haven't ever done is outside of the UK. So I've always held UK roles. And I think it would be amazing to, to go outside of the UK and experience another country or experience another region or global Something like that would be 
incredible. And then again, it's a kind of a sliding doors moment. How do we do that? When do we do that? What's the right position? That kind of thing. So I can see that happening. But equally, a lot of the decisions that I've made so far have just been because there's been an amazing opportunity that's been there and it's been right time, right place. And I haven't necessarily known that they were going to be there and the right thing to do. So I also think I'm, I'm quite pleased in some ways. I would advise my younger self to keep hold of that curiosity and going to where the opportunities are and, and not being too wedded to the plan. Always. Go with the flow. Exactly. <laughs> have you always lived in London? Yeah. Have you had yeah. move around at all? Again, was kind of family driven, so not necessarily children, but my family, my mum moved to London when she was quite young and had me there and my family's always been around London and I wanted to stay close to them. So I went to uni in London, lived in London, I live just outside of London now, always worked in and around London, again, which is incredible. It's one of the best cities in the world. So I feel, again, really privileged that in my day job, I'm able to see some basically amazing landmarks on my way to work. So that's, that's incredible. But yeah, moving around might be the next adventure, potentially. Does your husband work in the industry? No, he doesn't. He doesn't at all. We rarely talk about work because he spends it's been time at work and then we decide we're not going to talk about work at home. But he works in FMCG. So again, really interesting contrast of super, super tactical and like really massive teams have about 300 people working for him and it all works off of an app. It's very fast moving and their use of data digital to be able to like almost by the second do things and do things differently is really different really interesting so the reason i was asking about your husband was more about if you were to go to another country or is that something that you think you could do with your boys as well or have you even got that exactly. far yeah we we've talked about it a couple of times particularly during covid actually we we did talk about it because we've had that moment of life's for living isn't it and if you have a great adventure potentially in front of you then you've got to take it and make the most of it and I would, I would see it as an adventure, I think, for a long time. Again, really protective of my family, staying near to my mum in particular and the rest of my family in London. And I've always been, and it's a personal thing, I've always really been ready to stay in close by to them and not disrupting the school life or anything like that. But actually, I think during the pandemic, I've had a bit more time to think about, again, you're only ever a virtual call away from anyone. We could go somewhere and have an amazing adventure for a few years and that, that could work and we could make it work and it could be on the menu. So I don't know, like clearly, I, like you said, I've just started this role in the UK and we'll be here, I'm sure, for a while and I'm really enjoying it. But I think I've probably become more open to that. And as a family, we've become more open to we could go somewhere else and it wouldn't be the massive upheavals that I think we'd assumed it might be. Yeah. And you could still fulfill a global role first from where you are. It's it's smaller steps, I suppose, isn't it? Yeah, I think that. So. I think that's brilliant that I know a lot of companies are able now to offer global roles or different roles that cover different markets from home effectively. That's brilliant for people who want those opportunities without necessarily having to move their whole family and their whole life somewhere else. Yeah. Do you think that burden if that's the right word, do you think that falls more on female shoulders than male? I, don't, I was thinking about that in preparation for this podcast. I was thinking, particularly I was thinking back to my time on maternity leave. And like I say, I would n- never change that time. I loved having, I was like the best time of my life. I loved being off with the boys when they were babies. It was brilliant. But 
sometimes, and before they start asking the question, like, what if I hadn't had two years effectively off and or if I hadn't then come back and had to get back into work after maternity leave and that kind of thing, but would I be doing the same thing now? Would I have made different choices? Would I have accelerated further or done a different job or whatever? Who knows, really? Like, maybe. And maybe if I'd been the parent who had gone straight back to work and had like, someone at home who was off for a year, maybe, again, we would have made different choices. So whilst I haven't necessarily had that role of being a stay-at-home mum, definitely occupied that place of, like, I will take some of the some of that burden still on my shoulders and to some degree, I think. So going sliding doors... If you were Gwyneth Paltrow, yes, <laughs> who would be your alter ego? Oh, wow. Yeah, I, I think there's probably a couple of them. There's probably like the professor of something somewhere. If I'd made that decision to, to stay in further education and academia, that probably would have been the route, I think, of being a lecturer or something like that. And then maybe the other way of what we've just talked about of maybe being like a huge, big business woman managing a whole part of the globe somewhere for a company and who knows that that may either of those still may well happen but yeah I think it, it is that I've gone really fast through a lot of jobs so I don't think I've been slow in what I've done but maybe I would have pushed harder or accelerated in some areas more had I not prioritized having time with my children but that's the decision we all make obviously as okay. moms and dads yeah. and parents and, and wouldn't have it any other way so I wanted to ask you what you think the industry as a whole will look like with women particularly in mind now. As I said before, we are on this precipice and things seem to be happening very differently. There's going to be a time of significant change over the next year or two. How do you think it'll change for women in terms of the flexibility on offer and getting that balance right? Where are we with that, do you think? Yeah, it's a really good question. And I, again, I think when you look at people who are maybe just starting or maybe where I was 10 years ago or 15 years ago, and I just think they've got a great place now, a great kind of platform to be able to say, what does success look like? It looks like I'm able to balance doing a really good job, doing the jobs that I want to do, but also going at the time I need to go, being able to add in the flexibility to go and do a pickup at nursery or school if I need to. And whether you, again, whether you're a mum or a dad or not a parent or you just have other things, I think there's probably no better time than now for people to be able to say that's what success looks like. And I think the people coming through now, the new leaders coming through, expect that. The expectation has shifted from if you're working huge amounts of hours, then you must be working really hard. To, if you're working huge amounts of hours, you must be very effective <laughs> that's so fascinating to see that change definitely has changed in my time that I've been working and I think no better time really to be able to make the most of that and have that balance and boundaries making sure that it's okay to take your time and your time on a daily basis but also your time in your career to to enjoy the journey and enjoy your life and, and that that success have you had someone particularly advise mentor believe in you have your back has there been one key person or several people over the years that have yeah pushed direction there's definitely been several whether it's friends that I've made at work or managers that I've had who has been able to just maybe give me a nudge out of my comfort zone when I needed it or giving me the pep talk when I needed it or just told me that when it was obvious I did 
I was having a bit of a, an imposter syndrome moment, like we believe in you. And actually more than that, we really value the person that you are and you bring something different to the table. And that's why you're here. And it's just been amazing for me. And equally, my family and friends outside of work, I have a lot of friends who aren't in pharma and don't do the job that I do. I <laughs> so kind of, I kind of, when we meet up again, we're occasionally because we all have lots of other things in our life. This is amazing. How are you doing this? And it's, it's really, again, holds up a mirror of the amazing work that we do when you start to talk to friends and family about what you do and you're out of the bubble of your own industry is always really energizing. And finally, my husband and my mum literally would not have been able to do any of the jobs that I particularly since I've had children. My mum retired when I had my first baby. She's a retired GP. And so she's basically looked after them. She has an amazing relationship with the boys and she's been there to to help with childcare pretty much whenever I've needed it, <laughs> been late for a meeting or had to go somewhere or just needed a helping hand. She's always been there for them and for me. And I wouldn't have been able to do that without her there. So again, I'm very grateful and lucky. The last question I have for you is mentoring something that, that you, you have a fairly tight schedule, I'd imagine, but is it some <laughs> that interests you as well? Is that something you do much of in your role? Yeah, absolutely. And I think particularly now, I am really interested in how we can best mentor and support and bring through people who are really talented, who maybe don't necessarily come from the traditional route. So that's something that I'm really interested in. Maybe people who haven't gone to university or maybe people who've done different jobs or done different things who wouldn't necessarily be on kind of the checklist of things that we need to interview someone to bring them into the industry yeah. but actually when we've done that I've just seen huge benefits and it's been hugely rewarding to be able to give people those opportunities I'm hoping we can do a bit more of that in the next few years and and again just thinking of things differently in terms of how we recruit who we recruit and bringing new leaders and new talent into the industry and then from a mentoring point of view I have quite a big team now so I just try and really prioritize having that listening time with them just frequent let's just talk and talk freely there's no real kind of agenda and I find that really again really valuable really rewarding and hopefully they occasionally take something from it as well I think that I'll have to bring it to an end I feel like I've still got so much that I could ask you <laughs> just about innovation in general in, yeah. in pharma I will have yeah. to let you go yeah thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me it's absolutely flown by I don't know where the time's gone but it's been really lovely to just get to know a little bit more about you and, and the world that you have yeah, you too. Really uh, appreciate the time. Thanks for thanks again for asking me on. It's been brilliant. Ah, oh, you're absolutely welcome. Thank you. Well, that is it from this girl can now until the kids go back to school in January. Thank you so much for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode and the podcast in general, please do subscribe and spread the word on social media. And of course, a positive rating and review makes a huge difference. Don't forget to go to thisgirlcam.com to see this interview in print and to find out who my first guest of 2023 will be. You can follow me on LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter and Facebook all under This Girl Cam. Thanks again everyone and see you next year. Bye for now.